Good morning. Let me pray real quick. God, I offer these words to you, and I pray that you would use them for your purposes, and that you would be the one that speaks to us and changes us and does great work among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Proverbs, Way of Wisdom, part 16, I remind you that we have made it past the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, which means we've made it now into the second part of the book, and the second part of the book is the part that covers new topics every sentence or two. So from here on out, at least for a while, the sermon style is going to be a little bit different because we are now going to start grabbing different Proverbs from different places in the book of Proverbs that are on similar topics or on the same topic and bring them together. And so that's how we will do the sermons from here on out. Rather than chapter by chapter, we'll go topic by topic, taking different Proverbs that are about the same topic and talking about them together um, each Sunday. And so today's topic is pride. What does the book of Proverbs say about pride? And so I guess I'll start off by letting you know that what the book of Proverbs says about pride um, found its way into the New Testament. That what Proverbs in the Old Testament says about pride influenced what people in the New Testament said when they talked about the topic. I guess I can't prove it for sure, but I'm going to show you. Um, it seems almost, almost undebatable that there were things that are in Proverbs that you, you see them, they didn't stay in Proverbs. They snuck their way into the New Testament in the mouths of the people that were speaking then, Jesus being one of them. And so let me give you an example. This is Proverbs chapter 25, starting in verse 6. It says, don't brag about yourself before the king. That's good advice, right? Don't brag about yourself before the king and don't stand in the place of the great. For it is better for him to say to you, come up here, than to demote you in plain view of a noble. So when you're around a king, that's, this is the advice of Proverbs. It's, hey, don't be bragging. Don't be talking about how great you are. And in fact, don't take the position of honor for yourself. Because if you take a position that is more honorable than the king thinks you are, you could get demoted in front of everybody. That would be embarrassing. But if you take a position that is less honorable than the king thinks you are, he might say, no, come up here, and he might promote you in front of everybody. So that's good advice. And then when I read this proverb earlier this year, as I was reading through the book of Proverbs, I came to this one, and I thought to myself, man, this sounds awfully familiar. And the reason this sounds awfully familiar is because I preached on Luke chapter 14 a couple of times, and so I'm aware that Jesus said something very similar to this, and I'm going to show it to you. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 8, Jesus was at a party, and the, the people that were at this party were all, I think, kind of competing with one another to try to get the best places for themselves. And so then Jesus said this. He said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. Does that sound familiar? But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? Well, that's Jesus. Well, where did he get such an idea from? It seems unbelievable to me that it, Jesus did not read Proverbs 25, 6 through 7. He basically takes what Proverbs 25, 6 through 7 says and applies it to the situation that he was in. I mean, it's almost the exact same teaching. The only thing Jesus changed was in the Proverbs, it was about a king. And when Jesus talked about it, he talked about it in the context that he was in, and he, and he made it about a wedding, uh, the host of a wedding banquet. 
But other than that, it's the exact same teaching, right? Jesus taught what Proverbs says to those people. Here's another one. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. Also good advice, right? No need to brag about what's going to happen tomorrow because you don't know the future. Now I want you to notice the words, boast tomorrow, you don't know what a day might bring. When I read this, I thought, man, that also sounds really familiar. And the reason that one sounded familiar to me is because James says something like that in the book of James. A thousand years later, so like this was written, and then about a thousand years later, a guy named James says almost the same thing. This is what he says. This is James 4, verse 13 and following. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit, right? Kind of bragging about what will happen in the future. He says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Does that sound familiar? What your life will be. For you are like smoke that vanishes, sorry, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Well, don't tell me James didn't read Proverbs 27.1, right? He did. He took Proverbs 27.1 and he was applying it to the specific situation that he was dealing with at the time, Right? So what we can see as we look at the book of Proverbs, and especially if we know things from the New Testament when we read the book of Proverbs, we can see that there are principles in the book of Proverbs that didn't stay there. <laughs> they found their way out and they found their way into other places of the Bible. And we can also see that there are principles in Proverbs that teach us things like what Jesus and James said, um, things like that boasting and arrogance are sins. Boasting and arrogant is sinful. Uh, James calls it uh, evil. So let's go ahead and make that point number one of the sermon, shall we? Okay, we'll just start basic. Here we go. Point number one of the sermon, pride is a sin. We can get that from Proverbs. We can get that from the New Testament when it refers to Proverbs. Pride is a sin. Proverbs 16.5 says this, Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches about pride, Right? He will not go unpunished. Who will not go unpunished? The person with a proud heart. Why? Because that person is detestable to the Lord. The proud heart is detestable to the Lord. So God hates pride, and Proverbs warns against it many times. There are multiple Proverbs that talk on this issue. Many times this comes up in Proverbs. I'm going to share with you the most, I think, what's the most famous proverb on this topic. The most famous proverb on pride on pride is Proverbs 16, verse 18. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. This proverb has been shortened down to the phrase, pride comes before a fall. Have you heard it? Yes. People quote this all the time. I think people that don't even necessarily believe in the Bible quote this, right? They say that, especially if you're in a situation where someone is like, they're kind of showing off or they're, you know, they're just, you know, they're, they're being, you know, braggy or something like that. And they're going, no, 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 I, I don't need your help. I got it by myself. No, 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 stay away. I, I, got, I can do this all. I'm good at this. I can do it by myself. And then they mess up or they break it or they fall down or whatever it is. And then somebody goes, well, well pride comes before a fall, right? Has it happened? Any of you had that? Right. That's true. So that is this, that's this proverb, or at least that's a shortened version of this proverb. If you notice what the longer version says, it says pride comes before, it actually says destruction, falls at the end of the verse. Pride comes before destruction, the breaking of a thing, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Pride will destroy you. That's what Proverbs teaches. 
which is just a more specific version of what we've already seen in Proverbs. Proverbs says foolishness will destroy you, and now we see pride is a type of foolishness. Pride will destroy you. Here are some more places where the book of Proverbs talks about like the harm that pride does, the, the, the harm that ca- pride causes. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this, when pride comes, disgrace follows. I want you to notice that there's a, there's a chronology there. Okay? When pride comes, disgrace follows. Step one, pride. Step two, disgrace. Or look at Proverbs 18.12. It says something similar. It says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. It's the same thing, right? So a man's heart is proud before what? Before his downfall. In other words, phase one, proud. Phase two, downfall. Or look at Proverbs 29, verse 23. It says, a person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. This one's interesting because it has the word humble in both halves of the proverb. You see it? A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. It seems to me that this proverb is saying humility is coming your way, like either way. Either a person's pride will humble him or a humble spirit will gain honor. But either way, in fact, this is what I wrote in my notes. I wrote either be humble or be humbled. Those are the two options. Be humble and gain honor or you will be humbled by your pride. So there is a damage that pride does to us. And, and not only is there like a, a negative thing that happens because of pride, but there's a positive thing that happens because of humility, right? So there's, there's destruction that comes with pride, but then there's also a reward for humility. The Bible talks about the negative, don't be prideful, but also the positive, do be humble because there's, there's a reward there. Let me show them to you. In fact, I'm going to read those same three verses again. This time we'll just, we'll emphasize the second half of each verse. Look at Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes... Disgrace follows, but with humility comes, now this is interesting, not disgrace, right? When pride comes, what comes with pride? Disgrace. But what comes with humility? Wisdom. Or look at Proverbs 18, 12 again. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So it's the same thing, before. In other words, we had um, proud heart, step two is downfall. Here we have step one, humility, step two, honor. Or Proverbs 29, 23 says, a person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain, what is it? Honor. The same thing as in the the verse before, right? So you have, like you can see that the book of Proverbs says this over and over again, multiple times, multiple ways. The book of Proverbs teaches us about don't be prideful and do be humble. God warns us about this. Now, why? Why is it important that we not be proud? Why is it important for us to be humble? And I think the answer is this, because God wants us to embrace reality. I think that's the real answer. Why is it that we shouldn't be prideful and why is it that we should be humble? I think because God, who created all things, wants us, his creation, to embrace reality. God is good and you are not. And that's important to understand. It's it's no fun to hear, but it's important to understand. God is great. You are not. Only God is good. There was a time when someone went up to Jesus and they called him good teacher. And he even said back, like, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Like Jesus had every right to be called good, but you could tell his assumption would certainly be no human teacher should be called good. Only God is good. And if we don't understand God is good and you are not, I think that's going to mess with how you understand the the Proverbs that are on pride. 
If you, if you don't think God is good and I am not, if you think God is good and I'm also pretty good, if that's your belief, then you're going to come to these Proverbs. In fact, can you put Proverbs 11:2 back up? You're going to come to these Proverbs and I think what you're going to have to interpret them as is that God is basically asking you to pretend. Right? If, it, if it's not God is good and you are bad, if it's true that God's, God's good and then you're also good, then you're going to come to a verse like this and go, well, when pride comes, disgrace follows. Well, I don't want to have disgrace, so I can't be prideful, you know, but I'm, I am good. So I guess what God wants me to do is act like I'm not as good as I am. Right? And with humility comes wisdom, and I want wisdom, not disgrace. So I guess I'm going to have to pretend to be lowly. And what I'm telling you is I do not think that God is asking you to pretend. I think he's asking you to recognize that he is the only one good. I think he's asking you to recognize that when God is on the chart, you're way down here at the bottom of the chart. That's reality. And I think sometimes we can look at reality and not see it as it really is. And we can look at our own lives and not see it the way God has revealed it. An example of this that I heard that I thought was great this week is, an example was the White Wells of Ilkley in Yorkshire. Um, I was listening to a Scottish preacher, and he talked about the White Wells in Ilkley in Yorkshire, which I don't know what that is. I still really don't know what that is, other than that I Googled it and saw it was a place in England. And there's this place in England that has these, pla- this, these wells that they call the White Wells. Um, they're called that because of the color that they are painted. And then what I thought was interesting, he, and he talked about how these were really old, they're way back from the time period of like the Roman Empire, I think he said. And then he said this about the white wells. He said, talking about when, when winter comes there in England, he said, when snow comes, they look decidedly gray. And I thought that was such an interesting thought. The white wells of Ilkley and Yorkshire, turns out they are actually gray year round. You just can't tell until the snow falls. And once the snow falls, you realize, not that they changed color, once the snow falls, you realize like, oh, they were gray all year. Now that I can see them up against white. And I think there are sometimes some of us going like, well, I think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty decent person. And we do not understand God's righteousness. We don't understand his holiness and what actual good is. And so we look at ourselves and we go, I think that's fine. And until we understand God's goodness and his holiness, we're gonna, there, there's going to be stuff that's literally there the whole time and we don't see it. And so I want to show this to you in the Bible. I know there are, probably not, there are probably some of you in this room that you don't come to church to be told how bad you are. Sorry, that's what you're getting this morning. All right. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. I say sorry, but I meant that sarcastically. I'm not apologizing. I think this is the right thing for me to say to you. I think you need to know this. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of the places in the Bible where it says this kind of thing. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I want you to see what God has revealed about us. Okay, so he says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to a group of Christians in Ephesus. But I think as it unfolds, what you're going to be able to see is this was not something that was unique to the Christians in Ephesus. It's not like they were these special people who had trespasses and sins, unlike regular people like us, okay? No, these people were dead in their trespasses and sins, like everyone, all right? But he uses were, he uses the past tense verb here because these people are now Christians at the time he's talking to them. And so I think he's saying back before you knew God, back before Jesus came into your life, okay? When you were just left to yourself, before God came into your life and when you were just the natural you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked, walked in the New Testament many times, as 
basically the same thing as lived, right? In which you lived, as you, as you lived your life, you were in trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. That is, like the ways of this world is sins and trespasses. That's what's normal. You walked according to those ways, and you walked according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. I think that's a reference to Satan. So you are part of Satan's kingdom, you're part of the world, and the natural way of this world is you're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And then look at verse 3. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. Who lived among them? Everybody. We all too. Everybody lived among them. Well, how, why? Why did we live among those awful people? Because that's what everybody is. Everybody before God comes into their life. Trespasses and sins is the way of the world, and we were all there in the world. We all too previously lived among them, doing the same thing everybody else does, sinning and trespassing, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So Paul here says we have sinful inclinations. He just makes it sound like everybody does. Everybody has sinful desires on the inside of them that like want to come out on the outside of them. And they're in there. We have these sinful inclinations. And we are, this is interesting, by nature children under wrath. Not even like you had to do something real special to qualify for it, right? Just naturally children under wrath is the state that you're in. Right? And under whose wrath? God's wrath. It's obvious that that's what is being talked about here. We are by nature children under God's wrath, as everybody was. We are naturally sinful and worthy of God's wrath. Therefore, there is no room within us for pride. Not that, not that people aren't capable of being proud. There is no legitimate room within us for pride. There's no reason to look at this and go, apart from God, I am... No, there's nothing to be prideful about. I was talking about this topic to uh, Doug Davison this week, and he told me something that I thought was fascinating. And um, it's a, a sports thing, and I don't usually care about sports. I don't ever use sports illustrations, because who cares? But it turns out, apparently, a lot of people do. Um, and, and Doug cares. And so he told me this. I, didn't, uh, I wasn't able to verify it. So, Doug, are you here? I hope you told me the truth. But what he told me is he said, uh, he said at the college level, when it comes to football, okay, when it comes to football at the college level, the teams that are the best, the teams with the best players and the best stats and win the most games are the ones that have the highest crime rates. And the teams that are not very good and they lose games and they don't have very many star players are the teams that have the lowest crime rates. That is, how great a team is on the field, there's a correlation between that and the crimes that they commit off the field. And same thing for, like, if the team is not very good, right, and they don't do very good, that they have lower crime rates, in, at least at the collegiate level. And his theory was, pride helps people think that the rules don't apply to them, right? That that if you are someone who is walking around on campus who is super talented and everybody knows that it's bringing great glory to your school, right, and everybody's treating you like you're this little god on campus, you're more likely to be someone who thinks the rules don't apply to you. And so I thought that was interesting, that athletic pride. And there's all kinds of prides, all kinds of pride. There's money pride, when someone goes, ooh, look what I have, look how much money I have been able to earn, look how above average that is, look how many things I own that other people don't have. Most people don't have this many things. There is pride related to our looks, 
I am very pleased with what I look like. I look in the mirror, very hard to look away. But when I do, I see other people, they're fat, they're ugly, and I feel even better about myself. So either way, no matter where I'm looking, I'm happy. There's pride with popularity. You can imagine someone go, well, you should just see the way I can go and work a room, right? And then I look at other people, and it's like they can't even work like one conversation, right? Look, look what I can do. I mean, everybody loves me, right? And it's amazing. So not everybody can do this, right? Or some people are prideful about how smart they are, right? You ever met like an intellectually prideful person? Sometimes they go around correcting people. Well, actually, San Francisco was not the first city that blah, 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 right? And then the popular prideful person is like, this is why no one's friends with you, right? And then <laughs> and the intellectual prideful person is like, well, nobody likes you. I don't know. You don't know anything. And then there's I mean, I mean, so many different types of pride. Moralism is a type of pride. I am so great. I do all these good things. Look at all the good deeds I do. I do a lot more good deeds than other people do. Or I abstain from bad things better than other people do. Whoa, look at this. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't do drugs. Look at those people over there. They do. <laughs> Dirty, rotten. Ta-da, shining. Moralism is a type of pride. There's all kinds of prides. And in fact... Here we are, in the United States of America, in the year 2021, in the month of June, a month that is known as Pride Month. Pride Month, that's this month. Now, in our culture, there's a connection between sexuality and pride. Now, you might say, well, no, you're a preacher and you're just putting those together. I didn't name it that. I don't know who named it that, but I didn't name it that. It's called Pride Month. This is a month where the broader culture is suggesting pride for a particular subset of people. It's not actually just pride for anything and everything, right? It's short for gay pride, okay? Or LGBT pride is sort of a, a, the newer way to say it. But originally the term was gay pride. Like they had gay pride parades. I say had, I think they still do. They have gay pride parades. And as I thought about that term this week, gay pride, it dawned on me for the first time, that's two sins. And as a religiously conservative American, like as, and, and the people who are religiously conservative Americans, I would say I'm one of them, they tend to see the first part of that term, gay pride, they look at the first part and that's what they notice first, maybe even only, honestly. They look at that and go, well, that's a sin. Gay is a sin, that's a problem. Um, because a man is not supposed to lie with a man as a man lies with a woman. That's what it says in the Bible. And um, men, are not, men, when they are inflamed with lust for one another, the Bible talks like that's a bad thing. And when the Bible talks about marriage, it, every time it talks about it, either implicitly or explicitly, it's a man and a woman. And so th that's all true. Like when, when Christians or relig religious conservatives say, like, that's what it, that the Bible teaches, that it's wrong, they are correct. The Bible does, in fact, teach that. The Bible does forbid homosexuality and says it's wrong. And I think it's important to say that since it's challenged so much nowadays. But I wanted to point out that the second word in the term is a sin too. Pride is a sin, and pride is the sin that we're covering this morning. And so I guess I need to say this, the response to gay pride is not straight pride. It should be no pride, right? But I can picture someone thinking to themselves, well, I've done a few bad things in my life, 
but at least I've never done lesbian things, right? But that's pride. That's moralistic pride. I, I sure hope you do not get to judgment day and give an account to your life before God. And God says, you know, and you say to God, here's the account of my life. I wasn't gay. As if he's going to say like, whew, that was the one thing I was concerned about. That is not how it's going to work on that day. That is not the righteousness that he requires. I can tell you that. So pride is a sin too. And I think that it is one of the worst ones. And I think one issue with pride, one of the reasons why I think it's one of the worst ones is because it is a root sin. And by root sin, I mean it's a sin that causes other sins. It's a foundation that other sins are built upon. It's a sin that other sins sprout out from. So imagine, if you will, um, a generation of people who are told over and over again that they're good. Okay? Just imagine people being told, you're good, you're good, you're great, you're awesome, you're amazing just as you are. Imagine people being taught that from the time they are toddlers all the way up into adulthood over and over again. You are good, you're good, you're good just the way you are, you're awesome, you're fantastic just the way you are. And even by the time they get to be adults and they're doing things that are obviously not good, like it seems so easy to disprove, right? No, that definitely wasn't good. People will still hang on to it and say, okay, no, no, you just did a bad thing there, but you're still a good person. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Like you just did a bad thing, but you're a good person. We're going to hang on to that no matter what. Okay, imagine such a generation. Okay, it should not be hard. We're in it, right? If you are someone who's under 50 years old, that's probably all you've ever known. Because I think that's been the prevailing thought probably for about four or five decades now. So imagine a culture where you are good just as you are. Gets said over and over and over again so that you hear it about 40,000 times by the time you're an adult. I'm guessing there are going to be a big percentage of people that are going to believe it. And I want you to understand that belief that you are good as you are. That's a religious doctrine. It's a religious belief. You can't prove it in a lab. Like I can tell you right now, I can tell you science has not confirmed that you are a good person. It has not. The idea that you're a good person is a religious belief. And religious beliefs lead to morality. Religious doctrine leads to ethical choices. So, if we're going to believe for many, many decades in a row, over and over and over again, you are good just as you are. And even when you do bad things, that's not really you. That's some weird thing outside of you because you're still good on the inside. If we're going to believe that over and over and over again for a long time, what's that going to lead to as far as morality? Like, what, what ought we to do when it comes to ethics? Like, if that's true and everybody believes it, how should you live your life? And the answer, I think, would be you need to embrace yourself. You need to be the natural you. You need to be as much as you can like you, that, that there's all these pressures in the world, these people that are trying to get you to be different than the real you, but what you must do, like morally speaking, you are good, therefore, you need to do whatever you can to be the, like the natural, the real you. That's who you need to emulate, you. And only you can know what's right and wrong for you. <laughs> and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that that kind of thinking of course is going to lead to a generation of people where some of them say, well, I'm a girl, 
and I want to get with a girl, so I will. Or I'm a guy, I'm a male, and I want to be a girl, so I will. Or I'm a guy, and I want to get with two girls, so I will. Right? Because I'm good just the way I am, and I should trust my own judgment. And I should follow my heart. They've literally been telling me that since I'm four. So of course that kind of thinking is going to lead to sexual sins. And it's going to lead to a bunch of non-sexual sins too. Because we're not just sexual beings. There's far more to us than that. And so this kind of you-do-you morality is going to lead to a thousand other sins. All rooted in pride. Because I think there's more than one type of pride. I think there's, I'm better than everybody else pride, but I think there's also, I'm my own God pride. Like, I make the judgment calls for my life. And so in light of that, I want you to listen to the wisdom of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 26. It says this, The one who trusts in himself is a fool. But the one who walks in wisdom will be safe. I imagine there are probably a bunch of people involved in gay pride parades trusting in themselves and they're fools. And there are a bunch of people who would probably not be caught dead near a parade gay pride parade, who trust in themselves, and they're fools. But the one who walks in wisdom will be safe. The the other ways this could be translated, the one who trusts, you could translate it this way from the Hebrew, the one who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But the one who walks in wisdom, and you have to remember from earlier in the book of Proverbs, walks in wisdom is walks in God's ways, the ways of Yahweh. The one who walks in God's ways will be safe. That can also be translated will escape. Escape what? Escape the destruction that comes from, for people who trust in themselves. So please hear me, because the next thing I'm going to say is going to be the most important thing I say all morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you are good, but rather that you are bad, and that God came to rescue you from you. At great cost to himself, death on a cross. And after rescuing you from you, he frees you. Frees you not to be more like, not for you to be like you. You already had the ability to be like you. He frees you to be more like him. That is good news. So let me go ahead and just end with this. I want to read you just three more Proverbs and one story that Jesus told. They're all short, and I'm not even going to comment on them. I'm literally, I, think I'm just, I think they should make sense on their own. I'm literally just going to read you three Proverbs and what Jesus said and be done. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord evaluates the motives. Proverbs 28.13 says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. 
And then lastly, listen to this story from Jesus. This is Luke chapter 18. Jesus, on one occasion, told this story. He said, two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, I thank you I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. And listen to what Jesus says about these two guys. He says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. God, sermons like this are probably hard to hear. But I pray you'd use it in our lives. I pray you'd make us into a humble church, a humble congregation. I was talking to a kind of new friend of mine just recently. He's not a Christian, he's not from America, and he, I think he said Americans are, are so prideful and Christians are so prideful. I pray that would not be true of us, and, and to the extent that it is true, I pray that you would, um, you would root it out of us, that you would gently change us, and that we would cooperate, and that we would repent. I pray that you would help us to repent. Help us to see things as they are. And I pray you'd help us to not trust in ourselves, but trust in you above ourselves. That we would trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. I pray that you would work that miracle among us. And I pray you'd help us to be those people. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for saving us, even though we're way at the bottom of the chart. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.